My name is Delmar, I'm the campus pastor at Pacala. Do you mind if I pray before we jump into it today? Let's pray. Uh, God, I just ask today as, as we accompany your word with sermon, God, I just ask that the things in your words would be lifted up and made big to us. And anything that's just out of that, that'll be the stuff that's forgotten. Uh, we love you, God. Change us all. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, we are in a series called Big Prayer, and, and as I was thinking through this series, I'm just going to level with you. I've never got on the other side of a sermon on Big Prayer and felt like weird tension, right? Like, y'all know what I'm talking about because you've been on the other side of the sermon about tithing before, right? Y'all have existed there, right? right? You've been on the other side of the sermon where they're tell, talking about your sin, right? And anytime we're going to talk about what's coming out of your wallet or maybe coming out of your mouth, there's only stress and tension beyond that, right? But I've never had anybody come up to the preacher afterwards and say, I can't believe you told me to talk to God today in church, right? It's like, you can't fault me for that, right? Like, it's like, here's a softball, right? It's like when someone comes up to you and they complain to you at work and you get to say those magical words, oh, I'm sorry, that's above my pay grade. You just take it on up, right? That's, that's how it feels. But full disclosure, as I really started to, to sink down in this text today, I realized something, and that something was this. Oh, no. Because the fact is, you don't have to create tension in a sermon about prayer to find the tension in the sermon about prayer, right? I noticed all we got to do is back up to the end of last week where Pastor Clay got up here, and he talked about bold prayers. And he shared with us how the most bold prayer you can ever pray is, Thy will be done, right? Man, we was excited. We was shouting that, right? And then I got home, and I started thinking about that. And I'm like, you know, if I really think about that phrase in my life, when I utter the words, thy will be done, quite often on the other side of those words is some stuff that definitely wasn't in my plan. Right? Every time I utter, thy will be done, very often after that, some of the biggest wounds that I have today are uttering that prayer. Y'all like, oh man, I, did I accidentally make a mistake last week? No, all I'm saying is buckle up if you prayed it, right? Some of you, you've been praying, thy will be done for three years. You're like, I wake up in the morning, I say, God, when are you going to show up? Thy will. Like literally, I'll take anything, any answer. And you're like, I got nothing, right? Tension is right there. Don't need to make it. Matter of fact, I'd be willing to gamble today in church that the only reason you wouldn't have tension in your prayer life comes down to two things. First thing is this, you're not praying, right? Because if I don't ever talk to you, then I don't ever tell you anything. I never hear from you. There's no expectations in that relationship. That's a whole other level of dysfunction that we don't have time for right now, right? Other option, and the one I think that a lot of us are guilty of, myself included, is sometimes when we pray, quite honestly, we don't mean it. And if I don't mean it, then why should there be tension, right? Like, oh yeah, I know, when it comes to bad things, I'm supposed to pray. It's kind of like a Hail Mary. If God shows up, we win, that kind of thing. I mean, we're all guilty of this. We've all said prayers we don't mean. Let's just own it, right? Like some of y'all, y'all been in the line at cookout, right? You done supersized everything, double, tripled the cheese on it, right? 1,600 calories on this thing, tacked on a 1,300-calorie Snickers Reese and Heath milkshake, right? And you got this thing, they hand it to you in bags and trays in your car, Right? And before you leave, you pray, and you know you said it. God, bless this food to the what of my body. <laughs> you mean that. 
You think when you eat this, God's going to be like, chicken, protein shake, poof, that's what's going to happen? No, no, you know what's going to happen. You're going to be tired, and tomorrow your clothes are going to be tighter, right? Like, we've been there. And, but we pray these prayers still. We don't, it's like sometimes I'm guilty of just praying a thing because I'm in autopilot. And I'm like, man, I didn't really just mean that. Because if I did, I literally just asked God to make a miracle happen, right? It's like I, I kind of should have probably take that more serious than while I'm pulling out of the line, you know, at cookout. But I think about that. And I'm like, man, we really should take it serious. And so it's all that tension that I welcome to this today because that's where they're sitting in the text that we're going to be in, which is in Acts chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip to Acts chapter 12. We are about to find a church, a whole church of people in the middle of this tension. And let me just let you know what's going on before we get here, because it is a little bit important. Chapter 11, the church has really started growing. That's actually the whole point of Acts is that you can't stop God, right? And the church is growing. Christians are, are, are coming to know Jesus. And in chapter 11, for the first time ever, people are starting to be called Christians, which is really neat to know we got our name there. I don't know why so many people want to f- throw that name away today. I'm like, it literally was given to us in the Bible. That's kind of cool, right? But on the other side of that, where that's a good thing, here's the tension in it. Now that I've labeled something, I can persecute it, right? I mean, this, is, this isn't too far removed from our culture today, right? Like, there's spaces today where you can live your life and do your thing, but the second it comes out that your real king is Jesus, you're treated different, right? Like, that exists in our country, and guess what? It exists in Jerusalem very bad, all right? So in chapter 12, um, as, as we're going to see, this chapter, chapter 11 is awesome. Everything is growing. Chapter 12 takes this turn, and it is just a gut punch to the church because this is what happens. Herod decides for whatever reason it doesn't state that he's going to lean in on these Christians, and he's going to start persecuting them. Now, for whatever his reasons, we don't know, but we do know this. It works out very well for him politically, because this is what he does. He goes and gets James, one of the 12 disciples, right? 12 apostles, uh, the brother of John. And he has James killed. The scripture says with a sword, more than likely, he had his head cut off, right? This is significant for a couple reasons. First reason is this, and I tend to agree with scholars when they say James is probably maybe the first Christian to die for political gain for someone else. That's a big deal. They're not used to this. Second of all, he is the first one of the disciples, the apostles to get killed. I mean, there's levels of stuff going here. Could you imagine if you're at a church right here? You're like, oh, we just following Jesus, and now the government is turning on us, and they're so abrasion that they're willing to go for the very leaders of us. What are they going to do to us? Like, they're feeling it, right? And, and it gets even worse that on the other side of this martyrdom, the Jews in the area are happy. They're happy. And Herod's like, oh man, it's making, it's making the people happy. This works out well. So he does what a lot of politicians do. Even if it's shady, if it works, we're going to do it again, right? So here's what he does. He goes and he has Peter arrested. He's like, oh man, that James is cool. Let's go for Peter. Let's get him, right? So he has Peter arrested, and he's about to have Peter killed, but there's a little government snafu right here, right? Say so the government's getting in the way of itself. Don't you just love it when that happens, right? Because here's the thing, during the Passover, which was going on for that week, you weren't afforded to be able to carry out capital punishment. So here's what, here's what Herod says. We're going to take Peter, we're going to lock him up the whole week. As soon as this little holiday's over, we're going to kill him. We're going to give him the best ending to their holiday they've ever had. 
So that's where we find ourselves right here in the beginning of this chapter 12. And, and what we see here is the same thing we see in a lot of our lives, and that is this. Oftentimes, the biggest prayers we pray happen in our darkest areas, don't they? In our darkest moments. And that's exactly what we see. And what we're about to see here in this text is this. There's some principles that are going to be very alive here. That if we can catch these, if we're willing to receive them, hey, if I'm willing to receive them, it's going to change the way we interact with God through our prayer, but not just our prayer in our life actions. Look at verse 5 here, all right? Peter's been arrested for a week, right? It says this, verse 5, So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was made for him, was made to God by the church, right? Earnest prayer was made for him. You see the pictures being painted? Like, James is dead. It's not looking good. This is probably one of the most challenging week is, the weeks the church has ever experienced. I dare say some of these people might have been the worst week of their life with their best friend, one of them killed, and the other one about to get killed. Can I ask you a very honest question? How were you on the worst week of your life? Like, we all got that week, right? If you haven't, just keep living, Right? Like, how were you on that worst week? I'll tell you, I didn't want a camera following me around that week. I'm glad some of that stuff wasn't documented. But here we have this first week coming down the pipe. And what are they doing? I find this fascinating. Them as the church, here's what they're doing. They're positioning themselves to see God work. And one of the best ways you can position yourself to receive answer prayer, here's a no-brainer. Guess what you got to do? Pray. You're like, well, that's a mirror. You know, he told me the thing. I, you told me, I told you I was going to tell you guys that. Don't act surprised, right? But that's what they're doing. They're praying. And we can't get around this. Don't overlook it. Like, zoom in on it. Because how many times in life, right, do I touch the problem before I want to talk to the one who knows the outcome? Right? Like, listen, so many times I want to handle it. And God's like, listen, before you touch it, talk. Right? You know, a good rule of thumb for prayer is this. If it's something I want to vent about, that's what I need to be praying about. I need to be taking it to him instead of just touching it. So we need to stop there. Don't get past that. But also we need to look at how they were doing it because this, this is the next level. They're not just praying. How are they praying? They're praying together. Because some prayers are just not meant to be carried alone. Let me say that again. Some things you need to be praying for are not meant to be carried alone. But on the front end, let's just own it. Default, we try to do a lot of things on our own, right? Like I'm about to indict most every man here, okay? How many times, man, you've been home and your wife comes home and you're just watching the game, doing whatever. She comes and says, hey, listen, <clears throat> I got groceries in the car. You're like, okay. I'll pause it. You go out to the car. The trunk opens up. I'm like, wow, did you rob the bag store? Because there's so many groceries in the car, right? And then, but, but as a man, when you see a whole thing of groceries, there's one thought going through most men's mind. Here it is. Challenge accepted, right? <laughs> My wife behind me, she's like, I'll help you get them. I was like, it's right, good. We're good, right? It's like a, you get like 30 bags on one arm, right? And then you got a strategy for it because you've done this before, man, right? Like, you know, the light stuff like the bread up here, then it gets heavier as it gets down here. You got your pickles and stuff down here. You get two arms full of that stuff. And then you look in the back of your car, you're like, if this was a video game, there's the boss, a 32 case of water, right? That's it. We're going to do it. All right. 
be with me, Jesus. And then you just grab it, right? Like you got like bags flying off your arm. You got thing, and you're walking to the house. You're like, oh, I done crushed this, right? What's the point in flying a plane if you can't land it, though? You know, because you walk in the house, you're like, I didn't really think about like how this was going to end, right? Because like every time I try to like set the bag, the, the water down, the bags is slinging under the water. And my wife's just sitting there like, mm-hmm, 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 right? So the next thing I get the water on the ground, my bread is just flat. It's panina bread what we have in our house next week, right? And then my eggs are just smashed, just sticking everywhere, and the milk is spilled. And the only thing coming out of my mouth is I'll go back to Walmart, lady. Oh, that's, that's what's coming out of my mouth, right? And the whole time, the craziest part, she's like, I literally came outside because this was more than you can handle, right? Like, that's why she's out there. But I'm like, no, I got this, right? And we do this with so many things in our life. And we do this, we carry that same ambition and we carry that same disposition to our prayer life. And we're like, oh, I got this, God. I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray alone. It's just me and God. We're going to do it, right? But like, what do we see in Scripture? We do see private prayer. But more times than, we, than not, what do we see is we see corporate prayer. And one of the worst lies I think that we have been sold in modern Christianity is that's your private prayer life. You do you. You just go pray by yourself over here. Your, hey, your spirituality is a personal thing, not to be public. According to Scripture, based on this authority, I just want to give you the theological word for that, hogwash, all right? Scripturally, prayer is corporate. Prayer is also private. But I mean, I don't, we're not even so far removed where that's not still in remembrance of our country. Like my papa today, when he was a little kid, when he went to school, guess what they did together? They prayed together. Then when he left school and he went to work, guess what they did at work? You won't believe it. They prayed together. And then when they got home, there was no iPad and Netflix. They spent time together. And before they went to bed, guess what they did? They prayed together. Because God's people have a conversation with God together. And one of the things that, 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 that is very good in that is this reality, that community creates accountability. And if I'm joining somebody else in community praying, it's a, it is ensuring that I am actually praying. If I remove the community aspect, it's all on me now. How long does it take before it's like, I'll get around to praying. I'll get around to it. Next thing you know, you're like, I just kind of pray when I bow my head on Sundays. And, and I don't think that it's not related that as corporate prayer has gone down in the last 80 years, anxiety is where it is now. Because we're no longer going together to the only one who can really fix it. See, that's, the t that, that's where we find ourselves here is this whole idea. They're praying together. So, so where do we sit in this idea of praying together? Well, actually, you're sitting really close to it right now, and that is a connect card. There should have been one handed to you or in your seat when you got to church. Like, I know a lot of times I just look at it as like, oh, it's just like an extension to the bulletin. Not really. On the other side of it, the entire portion is dedicated to guess what? Prayer. And when, every time you receive the connect card, you see it. Actually, that's an invitation to worship. To say, listen, there's some things I can't carry by myself right now. I feel it. I think there's a lot of people in here, if you own it, you're like, there's some things I'm, I'm kind of catching right now. I can use some prayer. That's why we do that. Because we believe we need to be together. Just like these Christians were here in Jerusalem right now, together, absolutely terrified 
But they're not just praying together. Look at how they're praying. What does that scripture say? They were praying earnestly. You know, that's not the only time in scripture where it says earnest prayers were happening. In Luke chapter 22, a lot of you have heard of this. This is before Jesus was betrayed and crucified. He was in the garden of Gethsemane, right? He was praying in there. He was praying with such passion that he was sweating drops of blood. And guess how he was praying? Earnestly. Because he knew when he was praying to the Father, who was there listening? Father. Because to pray earnestly, what that means is this. It means you mean it. It means I'm praying and I really do mean it. And when Jesus prayed, it affected him physically. And it should affect us. And he prayed that. And it's kind of vulnerable because it's saying, God, I put myself out there. You could say no because I actually mean it. If I didn't mean it, it wouldn't matter. But I mean it. So you could say no. But I, I love how Scripture what it calls us, right? If, if you're a Christ follower, if you're a Christian, it says this, you're a child of God. I think the best advice I can ever give is this, if you're a child of God, pray like it, right? My son turned four on Friday. So Monday, you think it was beyond him to say, hey dad, uh, my birthday's this week, right? Hey, can I get a present today, daddy? I'm like, no son, that's not how it works, okay? You think that stopped him Tuesday morning? Waking me up before I even want to get up. Hey, Dad, it's my birthday this week. You got, a, you got a present for me? Wednesday, Dad, Paw Patrol is the thing, right? Like, he's just praying, praying, praying. And finally we get to Friday, and he's like, Daddy, it's my Yes, it's your birthday, son. <laughs> and guess what's going to happen? Yes, there's a present for you. But here's the thing. Do you think any time earlier in that week it ever crossed his mind, oh, I shouldn't ask Daddy? No. Because he knew the only place that was going to come from anyways was Daddy. Daddy and Mama. That's how we're to approach God. It's okay. I know sometimes I get really weird asking God for the same thing over and over and over again. But you know what? That's exactly what's happening this entire week. This entire week, Peter's in prison, and they're saying, God, can, can you get him out, please? Monday goes by, nope, nope, ain't happening. Tuesday, can you get him out? Nope, nope, nope. You know, as they continue praying through the week, their anxiety kept going this way, right? You think that maybe, maybe just at one point later in the week, somebody goes, hey, you know, we've been praying for, for, for him to get released, but you think maybe we should switch up our game plan? Because maybe we need to be prepared if the worst happens and start planning a funeral. No? Oh, we're not doing? Oh, we're going to continue praying the same thing? Oh, okay. Go back to praying. Because that's what they did over and over and over. They said, listen, we're going to sit here and pray until we know what God's saying. And the time is getting very short. Look at verse 6. When Herod was about to bring him out. Okay. He's about to die in the morning. The week is over. On that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. All right. So you see the picture that's being painted. In the morning, the holiday's over. They're going to take him out of there to out of there to kill him. Meanwhile, he is chained between two guards, and there are two guards at the door. There's only one picture that's trying to be portrayed here, and that is this. He ain't getting out of this one. It is a hopeless situation. Tomorrow you're dying, buddy. Now let me ask you this. If you knew tomorrow morning you were dying, an excruciating death, public death, 
how would your tonight be? How would you be tonight? How is Peter? Dude is sleeping. I mean, I mean, it's easy just to read little facts like that. Hey, I'm about to die. I'm going to take a nap. Let's just figure. Hey, take a nap, right? Now, truthfully, we don't know. He could have just been exhausted. It's been a whole week in a Roman prison. He could be fatigued. He could be like, I can't make it anymore. I'm sleeping, right? I'm just done. But you know what, what I think? Now, this is me. This is what I believe, that Peter has a good memory. And I believe that Peter remembers a conversation that he had with Jesus. Because see, in the Gospel of John, chapter 21, Peter's sitting on the shore with Jesus after Jesus has raised from the dead. And this is what Jesus tells Peter. He says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Peter's sitting in jail and he's saying, I ain't old yet. He said, when I'm old, this would happen and it would be bad. I ain't old. Last time I checked, I'm good, right? He's sitting in jail. I, I firmly believe that Peter's sitting between the promises of God and the prayer of the church. And he's like, I'm good right now. We, okay, that's what I think is going on, right? I mean, he, he would have no reason to doubt Jesus. The same Jesus who said, they're going to crucify me. I'm going to raise from the dead. And he did it. I'm pretty sure if he can lock that down, he can tell this one. That's where he's resting, I think. But, you know, truthfully, benefit of the doubt, he could have been, maybe he forgot that conversation. Maybe he didn't know. Let's not miss the point, though. He's still resting, which means whatever's going on, he has peace. Because either he is resting in that promise that he remembered to Jesus, or he's resting in the other promise that says this, to be absent from here is to be with him in eternity. And whatever's going on, we know in that moment, the praying has ceased, the sleeping is there. And I think there's something that we could really afford to lean into is this. When you're not praying, the best thing you can do is rest in his promise. Because if we don't rest in his promise, we got all pent up in our anxiety, don't we? And he's got plenty of promises laying there. He said, I'm just going to rest. And the fact of the matter is, he's going to need that sleep because of what's about to happen to him, Right? Look at verse 7. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and the light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. In the business, we call that a miracle, everybody. Okay? And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap up your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out following him. He didn't know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When he had passed by the first and second guard. You see that? These men who were placed there to make sure he doesn't get it. He just straight up walks on by them like a Jedi. Okay? But in reality, we call that a miracle. They came to the iron gate leading into the city, and what happened to the iron gate? It opened for them on its own accord for the third time. Number of completion, a miracle. And they went out and went along the street, and immediately the angel left him. Now, now, when Peter comes to himself, he says, now I'm sure that the Lord has sent this angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and for him that all that the Jewish people were expecting. Peter, in jail cell, Receiving answered prayer, God sends an angel, says, I'm getting you out of there. 
Now, you just read, you just heard what I read. This is the furthest thing from some mastermind prison escape movie you've ever seen, isn't it? Like, this isn't Shawshank Redemption, okay? He's not on the other side of it, standing in the rain, like, look what I did. No, no. He can never tell the story that way, right? Every time Peter ever has to tell this story, it's, I was in my underwear, chained up to two guards, like sweaty Greek guys, you know? And then all of a sudden, the chains popped off. I was like, what's going on? I'm tired, all right? And something said, put your clothes on. So I put my clothes on. And then I walked. The, the thing says he wasn't even, he was drowsy the whole time. He didn't even know if this thing was real. And then he just stumbles out, and he's like, I'm out of prison now, right? Like, that's a lot less like Shawshank. That's more like Barney from Andy Griffith, if you ever ask me, Okay. <laughs> Like, that's, that's the story that Peter has to tell, right? Like, he's like, I have nothing to do with this glorious moment that just happened. But where's Peter standing? He's standing in the middle of that glorious moment. I think that's awesome. I think that's awesome. And because what the answer is, is this. Hey, Peter, you know what? One day it's not going to end up the way you want. But today the answer is freedom. But if you look at that whole exchange, it was at the most inconvenient time, the last minute. Peter emotionally wasn't ready. Peter physically wasn't ready. Even while Peter was doing the thing, he didn't even know what he was doing. And I think there's something we all can really glean for this. And I'm just going to be completely transparent with you. This right here is probably the hardest thing for me to swallow in this sermon. And that is this. God answers our prayers in his way. Every time. He answers our prayers in his way. Sometimes they might line up, but I'm telling you, it's always his way. Which means this. I'm very grateful that that Peter was was cognitive enough to see what was going on and get out. But what that also means is this. It is very possible for us to miss God's answer in our life because I only am ready to hear it answered my way. Sometimes he's answered the question Right? And, and, and there's a couple reasons that we miss God's answer, right? The first reason we miss God's answer, probably one of the biggest one is this. We miss the answer, quite frankly, because we don't like it. Right? Like Halloween is next week. How many of you people in here, how many of us like candy corn? Where are you at? Got some candy corn people? All right. How many of y'all like licorice? Where's the licorice people at? All right. We're not judging. We're just like, what? Okay. I'm just saying, like, candy corn and licorice, right? Like, as it, like that's so bad my parents wouldn't even steal it when I was a little kid, right? Like, and then, you know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, all right. So I just think when I was a kid, I'd get all this candy. I'd, I'd tear through the Snickers and the Reese's, right, the Smarties. And then you get to the bottom. It's just, for me, it's just candy corn and licorice, right? At that point, in my little kid mind, I am out of candy. (laughs) Right? Like, no one in my house wants it. I don't want it. I'm pretty sure it was just left over from somebody else's house last year, and that's why it's in my bag, right? I'm done. So where does the candy end up? In the trash. I'm telling you, how many times has God's answer ended up in the trash because it's not what we wanted? Like, God, I, I don't want that answer. I don't, that's nasty. That's what you got, son. If you want to be obedient to me, and if you want to follow me, that's your candy corn. That's tough. And another reason that we don't sometimes hear God's answer is because it's not one of the options that we gave him to begin with. Right? 
You're like, God, here you go. All right, God, I'm finally here. I've been thinking about it. Here's the thing, right? I got you three options, pretty good options on the floor, all right? Like one is just, yeah, go ahead, let's do it, right? Number two is, yeah, tomorrow, right? And number three is, no, but I got you something better. That's, that's what you got, right? And you put those on the table and you say, God, here's how I want you to do it. A, B, C. And he's like, no, I got you G, three years of waiting and then a no. Well, that's not what I want. Well, you could take the no right now, but you ain't for three years, so that's just going to be no. I mean, I'm telling you, how, how many of y'all sit, I've sat in that? There's some people, some of us in here, you've been praying for three years, right? And the answer is, it's not the option that we want, so we don't take it. And then there's one more reason, and this, this one kind of catch you off guard, maybe. I don't know, y'all are smart, but I mean, honestly, sometimes we don't take the answer from God we don't receive it because the answer is yes. Sometimes we pray to God and God says, yep, that's the answer. Do it. And we don't receive Like, why would we not? No, no, no. This is actually about to make a lot of sense really quick, okay? Let's just say God answered some massive prayers. And tomorrow when we woke up, we had irrefutable evidence, like actual evidence that no matter what anybody says, irrefutably, the planet's climate is 100% good, all right? That's a conversation we don't ever have to have again, all right? It's fixed, all right? Feeling good? Because that ain't where we stop it. And on top of that, tomorrow, nothing newsworthy happens. Like, everybody's getting along. Everything is fine. Like, no news is being made, and it doesn't look like any more news is going to be made in the foreseeable future. Even beyond that, all of the roads are better. Yeah, some of y'all have driven around your hometown, haven't you, right? You're like, oh my goodness, all the roads are just better. And just to top it off, God's like, I'm going to sweeten the pot and give everybody that extended warranty on the car. That's where we're at, right? That's tomorrow, that's the reality you wake up to. How you feeling right now? Woo, right? So let me ask you then, tomorrow, if all that was fixed, do you think that climate activists would stop asking for money? Oh, the planet's good? Oh, okay, I guess we'll go home now, right? You think that's going to happen? Tomorrow, nothing newsworthy happens. You think the CNN's going to be like, well, I guess our job's done here now. Going off air, see ya. You think, that, you think our news is going to do that? Have you watched our news, right? You could take a good day and figure out how to make it a bad day, right? Hey, tomorrow, if all the roads are better everywhere, do you think... Our government is going to reverse tax to us? Y'all laughing because you know the answer, right? Tomorrow, you think you're not going to get that phone call where you've been trying to reach you about the extended warranty on your car. No. Because, see, here's, here's the reality that we're bumping up against here is this. The reality is all those things they say they want to change, but their crisis has become their purpose. And if you remove their crisis, what's their reason for existing? See, listen, the news needs evil. Even if there's no evil, they'll become the evil so you can get the evil, right? Like the crisis becomes the purpose. And, and I do think maybe someone needs to hear this, that maybe God has told somebody, yes, Hey, listen, I really need to forgive this person, God. They really hurt me. Okay, that's kind of my specialty. I'm really good at that. I'll join you. Let's do it. Yes. 
but that means I got to like let go of it. I think there's some of us in here that God would say yes, but the reality is we're not ready to receive that yes. We don't want that yes because our crisis has become our purpose. And, and, and I don't mean this as I got you. That's not this at all. Because, I mean, it's kind of stacked against us, right? Like in our culture right now, the number one way to have value is to be a victim, right? Like if you're not in crisis and you're not some kind of victim, no one wants to hear from you. So we, I need to be a victim and be perpetually in crisis so I can have value. And, and the rub here is this. Do you know why Peter is standing lucid in the middle of the street right now on the other end of a miracle? Do you know why that church is gathered praying together like they mean it? The reason that they're together praying is not because they view themselves as a people defined by their crisis perpetually in victim status. The reason they pray together is because they know no matter what crisis comes, they already have the victory because it was won on the cross through Jesus Christ, their God and our God. That's what it means. They're sitting in that promise, and they're like, we're going to pray these prayers. We mean it, but no matter what happens, I am not a victim. I have victory. Listen, today, if, if you're here today and some stuff's happened, I promise you, I don't mean to diminish that, but I'm telling you there's a greater thing that God wants to do in your life. And that comes through knowing his son, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sin and so you can forgive other people of their sin that they've done against you. Like that's what he's offered to us in the gospel. And in this moment, Peter is standing in the middle of the street as an answered prayer, right? This is not a normal night, right? I mean, a normal night, if you're the most, if you break out of prison, you're the most wanted person in town, which town are you leaving? that one, right? Peter said, hey, I want to go find the people who were praying for me. That was kind of nice, right? Like, he goes and finds out the church. He goes to Mark's house, right? And he, he finds the church there, and he's standing outside of it. Now, well, I don't want us to miss over this, because we're about to see what happens. This is really cool. But, it, but there was a moment when Peter was standing right outside the door, right? They're in here praying, crying, hoping the best, maybe expecting the worst. They don't know. Their prayer has already been answered and is standing on the other side of the door. They're right there in the middle of that tension that we were talking about at the beginning, right? That tension between I've prayed it, I don't know the answer. But what we're about to see is they're about to get their answer. Look at verse 12. When he realized this, Peter, realizing, you know, he's free, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose name was Mark, and where many were gathered and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhonda came and answered. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she didn't open the gate, but ran and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Most wanted person in town knocks on your door. He's your friend. You let him in, all right? She's like, oh, Peter, I go tell everybody. She walks away. She's freaking, he's like, you really? She's, she's going crazy, right? He's, they said to her, you're out of your mind. Well, she is. She just left Peter at the door. I'm just saying. But she kept insisting that it was so, saying he's an, it's his angel. They said, but Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the door, they saw him. And there's only one word we could come up with here. And they were amazed. It's the same way we are when those prayers are answered in our life, isn't it? 
But mentioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and the brothers. Then he departed and he went to another place. Here's the thing. I, we could get super theological on a, on a couple of points here. But what I really don't want us to miss is the forest for the trees. This is a really sweet moment that just happened here, isn't it? This sweet moment where their friend they thought was about to die shows up at their door. They just lost one of their friends a week earlier. They're like, God, please don't take this one. And he shows up at the door. And it's almost like that funny joy. You know what I'm saying? Where you're like, you answered this, you answered this prayer, God? Like, really? Right? Some of you sat in that moment where you got that funny joy, right? Maybe there's somebody in your life, you're like, God, I really want you to save this person because ain't nobody else going to do anything for this person, Lord, right? Right? And, and you're praying this prayer, praying this prayer, and all of a sudden, that person meets Jesus. And you're like, <laughs> what? That just happened, right? Some of you have been on the other side of that. You, you, you tried to find a church for so long, right? That finally you stumbled into a church, kind of like Peter out of the prison, and you're like, oh, this, this is my place. It's like a funny joy. But I also know there's others in here. Like, we want that. You're like, God, I've been praying. Like, where's that? And I think in, in, in the middle of that prayer, it's important for us to remember at the end of the day, we are but a finite being praying to an infinite God. And no matter what, he knows what's best. And I can imagine that's how they probably were feeling in that prayer room or the house before Peter showed up. But then he showed up. And if you read right here at the very end, it says, now go tell James what happened. This isn't the same James who was killed. This is the James who would then become the pastor in Jerusalem. Tell him Peter's out. And I can't help but think that maybe this experience was buried in, G in James's mind as somebody who was there praying as well. When he penned in his own letter these words in James 2, you have not because you ask not. Sometimes the answer is no. But sometimes the answer is this. I want you to pray. I want you to pray with others. And I want you to mean it. Because there's so much comfort for us knowing that the God of the universe, who can do anything he wants with any situation, loves us. And by praying with him, that he might intervene in that situation. Because, see, here's the thing, and we already know it. God's going to do what God's going to do because he's God. But that's actually the beauty of prayer. See, I've heard it put before. Why would I even pray? He already knows what I'm going to say anyways. I'm just, he knows it. That's actually, you're missing out on the beauty of it. Because the beautiful thing about prayer is this. Prayer is God's invitation to let you participate in what he's doing. See, just a little while back, I was in my man cave behind my house, and uh, I was—I I got a new air filter, and I was putting it on the motor, my motorcycle, right? So I'm back there, you know, pulling the bolts out the motorcycle. It's like a little mini job, right? So I'm trying to keep my bolts together and gaskets and stuff, pulling the air, the air cleaner off. And then all of a sudden, I hear ba-boom, and I'm like, oh, I know what just happened, right? I turn around, my two little boys are right here, right? These three and two-year-olds, they're like, Dad, we want help, we want help. And I'm like, okay, it's just— Okay, it's a job now, right? So I give one of them a screw. I'm like, hold that. Do not scratch daddy's motorcycle with this screw, right? I give the other uh, the screwdriver. Just literally just hold it. 
and give it to me when I ask for it, okay? So they're just holding the screw in the screwdriver. I'm putting the thing on. Finally, got it all bolted up. We're good to go. And then uh, walked out. Didn't think anything of it. It's not a real big deal, actually. Got it on. It wasn't a big deal until I went back to the man cave. Because I went back to the man cave later, and my two little boys walked in with me. And when they walked in with me, they, the first thing they did, they ran up to the motorcycle and said, we helped with that. They're like, we helped daddy. They showed mom, we helped daddy put that on the motorcycle. And I'm sitting here knowing, okay, yeah, they, sure they helped, right? Here's the thing. Was that thing going to get put on there anyways? Yeah. But can I share with you something real honest? When I look down, I'm riding down the road now, and I see that air filter. I'm like, man, I'm glad I got that memory with my kids. That meant a lot to them. I loved that I got to share that with them. And some of us in here, God's really asking us to pray some prayers. And all God's really saying is this. I really want to love sharing this with you. No matter how it turns out, I want you to know you were there. I was there. We were in it together. And that you were loved. And that's the invitation today. The invitation today is to say, listen, I'm, I'm willing to step out and step into this prayer, no matter how big it is, no matter how daunting it may be, and say, listen, God, I'm waiting on my answer. Let's pray. God, I thank you that we could come in here and, uh, and, and really talk about big prayers. I know that a lot of us in here need to pray them. I know that some of us in here we need to listen to the answer that you've already given us. So I think the only thing I really need to pray for is courage and willingness. Trusting and knowing that what you have and what you've promised to your children ultimately is for your good. And no matter what, we rest in the promises you've given us in your word that in Christ, we are more than victorious. We are your children. It's in Jesus' name, amen.